Boy, oh boy, we are finally back after what seems like such a long break, an, an unexpected break. So much has happened. The boys from Tackling the Premier League podcast can't wait to break it down for you. My name's Jack Sosa17, and I'd like to welcome you to Game Week 8 recap of Tackling the Premier League podcast with your hosts, me, myself, and I, Jack Sosa17, alongside BJ the German Jackson and Jason the Boob Super. Fellas, it's been too long. Yeah, it has. Glad to be back. Happy to be watching soccer again, man. Some Premier League. Love it. We gotta love it. And and before we get to the actual coverage of, of what went down in the soccer world, we've gotta talk about what went down in the real world and why we had this break. So sad to hear about the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. A true life of service, uh a long life of service, seventy years, the longest reigning monarch in English history and uh understand the, the break that was given to us for uh, a mourning period. And just want to reach out and say, life is short, enjoy it. But from beyond that, so much has happened since the last time we've talked. And I think the biggest story, other obviously than the Queen's passing, was uh, Todd Bowley at Chelsea decided to uh, move on from Thomas Tuchel. He got the sack. Nobody saw this coming, guys. What do, what do we think of the decision to sack Thomas Tuchel? figured Chelsea would have given Tuchel a little bit longer, especially since they just gave him like 250 million euros this summer and they really splashed in the transfer market. You would have thought he would have been given a little bit more time with the players that they brought in. Yeah. Like you said, Chelsea doesn't give their managers much time and they really didn't get Tuchel no time at all to adjust to the new signings he made in the uh, transfer window. You know, he had to basically re- replace his um, three center backs besides Tiago Silva. So that was uh, pretty big. You know, Tiago Silva doesn't start every game. So, Man, that was a lot to work with, and they gave him no time. And really, just a shocking decision. Uh, you know, Chelsea managers have historically been on a very short leash, and um, some have gone on to do great things post Chelsea, i.e., Jose Mourinho, um, and Antonio Conte, and and others. Uh, so we hope Thomas Tuchel will be back on his feet, and we'd love to see him back in the Premier League, hopefully one day soon. But. Chelsea didn't stop with the drama there, did they, guys? Uh, Todd Bowley, in an interview, uh, stated that he would love to bring the American idea of a Premier League all-star game to the Premier League to potentially raise money to fund the football pyramid. Two questions, guys. As Americans, you know, our opinions quite drastically differ than those across the sea. Uh, What do we think of this idea? One, as, as a spectacle for us to behold, and two... Do we actually think the money would go to the football pyramid or would it go to the players and football agents that, that uh, participated in it? I'm not really sure where the money would go. Yeah, it would generate a lot of money for, like they're saying, the football pyramid scheme. If that's where it's really going, I would like to think that's where it's going, but don't really know. Um, yeah, I think this was a really, really bad idea for the length of the season they play. They, I mean, you got to think about all the running they do. I mean, right now, Arsenal alone has uh, nine, ten games in October. So just this is stack season right now. I don't think the soccer is the best sport for that, or at least the Premier League. Yeah, I don't – like you said, I don't know where the money's going, but I personally like it. Give each team 22 22- – players let uh everybody play a half and why not give the fans something else it'd be good from the fan side but 
I do see where you're coming from as far as long season goes. It wouldn't be good this season, but I think it'd be good to, from the fan aspect. Uh, yeah, like like you said, Boob, I would really love to see it as well. I mean, just just from you know the spectacle of it itself. I mean, it, it would be an incredible uh, sight to behold. The best Premier League players taking the pitch all at one time against each other. Um, obviously, there'd be some kinks to work out. When would you play it? I mean, there's there's the opportunity that you could play it over the summer. You know, before the Community Shield or after the Community Shield, before this game starts, or you could play it after the Champions League final before everyone goes on holiday. Uh, there's a couple of chances, you know, working it out in terms of calendar it would be difficult, but it's doable. Uh, it's just one of those things that this is an American idea, and it, it's founded and based around how much money it would bring in, and it, it, the uh, the Europeans don't like their game being turned into gold. They want their game to just be a game and to be a, a sport. I just don't know that Todd Bowley should be the one to, to bring it up as, as he's brand new to the Premier League. And, and he, you know, you know, but a new idea is not always a bad idea. It doesn't have to be a bad idea. So maybe one day we'll see that. Maybe not. I guess we'll find out. On-field stuff. Uh, week 8 began on Friday afternoon games. Uh Probably the most boring game uh, I have watched to season to date. Uh, Aston Villa hosted Southampton, and what could go down is probably the worst Premier League game of the season. Uh, final score was 1-0 Aston Villa after Jacob Ramsey scored off of a, a corner routine that Southampton just struggled to clear. Um, VAR had a look, and it, it clearly looked like Ramsey was offsides. Uh, VAR decided not to intervene. Uh, and keep it 1-0, and that's basically how this game ended. Uh, what did we think of that goal? Was he offsides, and uh, what did we think of the overall game, guys? Well, I mean, he was definitely offsides, but you got to see he never uh, made a play on that first ball. It's if he was impeding the goalkeeper or not, and I don't really think he was. I think they made the right call on the VAR there to not really intervene and get involved in it. Yeah, I think there was enough play in between the offsides, and uh, even Southampton had a couple chances to get the ball out. Um, but they just couldn't. And other than that, that was really all the excitement in this one. I mean, like you said, you could probably go ahead and pencil this one in as the most boring game that's going to be played this season. So the two teams that are, that are uh, you know, both struggling for form. Obviously, Southampton are, are very wavy in terms of their form. I mean, they beat Chelsea and then turn around and lose to Villa. It's a very young squad, like we've said multiple times in, in past podcasts. And, and they're really struggling to find their quality um, in terms of getting the ball from the back line to the front line. A lot of big booms. They did have their chances, though, and you would think that the chances came off of the multiple set pieces that they had to sling the ball in the box. But James Ward-Prowse, one of the best set piece takers in the league, was just not on his game today. And he, he hit the front man, I think, about five of the seven times he took a set piece. It was not It was not brilliant from him in that regard. Yeah, by far his worst performance this season. And really, like you said, Southampton was missing something in the midfield. It seems like Romeo Lavia is playing a bigger role than um, what's been put on as of late. Absolutely. So after that result, uh, that leaves uh, – obviously, there are some games to be made up and some games in hand for some teams. But that leaves Southampton in 14th on seven points and Aston Villa in 15th on seven points. Matching each other's goal differentials and matching each other's records completely – uh, two two teams to keep an eye on as we move forward to the season. Not 
an eye on and watching them play, but an eye on and watching their table position because uh, both struggling to find to put their foot in the ground and, and make their stake in the Premier League. We'll move on to uh, the second match of Friday afternoon, the uh, recently promoted derby. This one was between Nottingham Forest and uh, Fulham Football Club. And this one was, was a very exciting game that, uh, that had lots of twists and turns, and it included six minutes of what Americans love to see, high scoring. We'll start with an against-the-run-of-play Forrest corner. Uh, was sent into the front post, a flick onto the back post, and none other than Keo Awanyi, who was promoted from his bench role the past couple of weeks into a starting position this week, was waiting at the back post to make this game 1-0. And really, I thought Fulham was dominating from the opening minute, but, but Forrest hit him with a sucker punch on the corner kick, and they went up 1-0. And, uh, and that's how the first half would end, 1-0. What do we think of that first half, and what do we think of that goal? Yeah, like you said, um, very against the run of play. Um, and Awonyi just right place, right time at the far post there, puts it in. And that's about all that can be said. Yeah, they Awonyi uh, started over Jesse Lingard. They dropped him and uh, decided to go with Brennan Johnson and Morgan Gibbs White in behind him, which I thought was a pretty good idea for Nottingham Forest. Gives them a real striker up top to aim at, and that's what they got in the first half was a nice uh, – Goal by him. Yeah, absolutely. Forced, uh, forced making 22 signings this, this uh, summer window. A lot to choose from if, if you're Steve Cooper in that team. And, uh, and rotation's important, but finding your best 11 is obviously very difficult when you have so many new players to get adjusted to. And, and I think we can attribute that to the second half. Uh, they had a breakdown in the second half. Uh, Fulham... I believe it was five minutes and fourteen seconds. Scored three goals. Is, am I am I correct on that one, guys? Five minutes and eighteen seconds. I think. You know, obviously, fair play to Fulham for brilliance in their attacking, but but it comes down to Forrest's lack of a true natural leader, and and their true natural leader from the championship was on the bench for this game. And Joe Worrell, he was. Uh, I don't know if he was rested or a statement was made. He came on in the second half after the, the three goals had been scored, but. Whenever you see a goal go in, immediately as as players on the field, you got to recollect your heads and make sure another one doesn't go in. Because when you get cut, you can bleed and you can continue to bleed, which can turn into a much bigger problem if you don't stop the bleeding. Uh, we'll talk about the goals. Uh, second half, first goal, Fulham <coughs> produced a brilliant pick and roll on the corner kick. Uh, I believe it was Mitrovic picked uh, Adebayo's defender. And Adebayo was left wide open right around the PK spot between the PK spot and the six to head home to make to draw Fulham level. And, it, yep, Forrest just didn't stop the bleeding, did they? Yeah, this was the first game that Mitrovic didn't get on the uh, score sheet. And you can really almost credit him with that goal with the pick that he set for Tosin right there. The nice play straight off the training ground. Yeah, like both of y'all said, good pick play, but I mean, would y'all consider that a foul maybe or no? Yeah, absolutely. So I was going to make that point. Uh, pick plays are technically illegal in, in, in football. It, it is an obstruction penalty, and it should have gone for us this way. Obviously, uh, referee did not see it on the field, and VAR did not review it. Um, but by law, it is technically obstruction by an uh, attacking player who is not going for the ball. And uh, should have been a forced free kick. But we'll move on from that because when have the Premier League referees ever been perfect? Paulinha, with an absolute brilliant strike, puts Fulham in the lead at the city ground. And 
guys, I think this was this was probably one of the strikes of of this weekend, if I had to say. I mean, uh, ball was crossed off the ground uh, to the top of the box, just outside of the D, and Polina with a one touch right into the side corner. Uh, really a beautiful strike. Dean Henderson, no chance, and Fulham took the lead two one. Yeah, I yeah. think uh, Paulinho might have been just as surprised as us when he scored. The man didn't know where to run. He was very, very excited. But I'm happy to see it, it was a fucking strike of a goal. Yeah, no chance for the keeper um, with the pace and precision on that one. No chance for the keeper is correct. And the keeper showed his frustration after the third one and went in. Decord over Reed put a ball off of a transition move from Fulham to the back post where – and other than Harrison Reed was just waiting on the back post with a one-time volley to send Fulham up three-one, and Dean Henderson showed his frustration with the uh, with the lack of leadership and defending from from Nottingham Forest as he he uh, took it out on the ground with a few punches, didn't he, guys? Yeah, I mean you got to understand it's very frustrating letting three goals in five minutes and eighteen seconds. Yeah, I'd probably be uh, beating the ground as well, so I don't blame him. No doubt about that. Force would get one back, though, but it proved to be too little too late as uh, Lewis O'Brien cleaned up a poor, poor Fulham clearance right on the PK spot to, to draw Force one back to 3-2. But uh, like I said, just a little bit too little too late, and this one would end uh, 3-2 for a Fulham win. This get result for Fulham sees them move all the way up to sixth place with 11 points and uh, leaves Nottingham Forest down in the relegation zone with uh, only four points. Uh, surprised at, at Fulham's position in the table at this point in the season, guys? They've played really good football so far this year, so not too surprised with their play, but coming into the season, yeah. Um, you wouldn't have thought that they'd be all the way up there. I mean, yeah, I'm kind of surprised by Fulham, especially like Justin said, coming into the season, you wouldn't expect them to be there, but since the way they started the season, I'm not really surprised to see them top half of the table through – Seven games. So, yeah, happy to see Fulham there, for sure. Always love a good underdog story. And Marco Silva's men have, uh, have, have proved themselves worthy of that title. Uh, hopefully they can keep it up all season long, and hopefully Mitrovic can get back on that score sheet so I can keep betting on him. Well, let's talk about Nottingham Forest for a second. Um, oh, yeah. You, with the 22 signings, I think <laughs> it's like 160 million euros uh, in transfer and wages that they spent. I mean, that could have been spent eight players that could really sure up your team and really give you a run for not relegation zone, at least top half with the money you're spending. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, that, that's a that's a lot of money that they spent on these players. And the question begs, if they do not make it through the entire season and get relegated, how many are going to stick around and, and where would that leave their finances at the end of the year? Um, there may be a fire sale, and you may be able to get some quality for pretty cheap. Uh, you got to feel for them. I mean, there's there's no easy task with that. Like 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 at Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel, you get a you get a few new players in. You need some time to integrate them into the squad. You get a completely new squad. I mean, 22 players is two full teams. Like we were saying with the with the Premier League All Star game. I mean, that's two full teams worth of players that that were brought into Nottingham Forest, have never played together, and have somehow have got to figure it out. You know, I hope for Forest's sake that Steve Cooper figures it out. I don't want to say it's already doomsday because there's some pretty shaky teams in this Premier League, but they're going to need to figure that out, and and, and hopefully they can figure it out quickly. All right, well, we'll move on to Saturday then. 
Uh, bright and early Saturday morning, 7.30 a.m., uh, Manchester City traveled to Molyneux to take on Wolves in what would be one of the defensive battles of the year coming into it, but proved not as 50 seconds into the game, Kevin De Bruyne overlapped to the right side of the pitch and played in just a beaut of a ball that Jack Grealish finished off for his first goal of the season. Uh, just 50 seconds into the game, like I said, and this would prove to be a rhythm as Kevin De Bruyne on the overlap was the uh, deadly knife in Wolf's side. We'll get to that second goal. What do we think of that first one? What do we think of Jack Grealish getting off the mark? Absolutely love to see it. Uh, right place, right time, starting it off early, like you said, in the first minute. Coming in, best defense versus the best offense in the league, and offense – uh, proved to win it early, basically. Yeah, you, um, it was a great cross by Kevin De Bruyne. He's been on fire to start the season. What does that make? Like six or seven assists already for him? Yeah, and you would expect Jack Grealish to get the better of Johnny at the back post or middle of the goal there. It's a good goal by Jack Grealish, I'd say. And yeah, that was his fifth assist, and then his sixth came later in the game, which we'll get to. Okay, yeah, there it is. Absolutely. Uh, down 1-0, Wolves started to put the pressure on City a little bit. Uh, one thing that, that we can take from City's first seven games of the season is uh, you can get at the City team better than you've been able to get at City teams in the past. And, and Wolves were putting a lot of pressure on, but but uh, one thing you got to understand is when you put pressure on City, you cannot forget about the robot that they have up top. And, and Erlen Hodden picks up the ball on a fast break. It was directly at Max Killerman. Uh, moving on Killerman's right shoulder as, as Killerman's looking over his left shoulder. Killerman then turns to look to his right shoulder. And as soon as he turns his back, as soon as he takes his eye off the ball, Erling Holland puts his boot through the ball. Did not hit it as well as I'm sure he would want to, I might add. But... It finds the back of the net because it was struck with so much strength that uh, Erlen Holland scores his 11th goal of the season and puts City up 2-0. Yeah, Jose Shaw, even though, like you said, it was um, not as well of a shot Erling Holland would like, Jose Shaw had no chance of getting to it because of how well-placed it was. So good job to Erling Holland there. Yeah, he hit it with his uh, weaker foot too, so... And it was from distance, but like I said, Jose Sal was already moving the other way. No chance. Love to see Holland again on the score sheet. Yeah, I, I seem to have a record for betting on Mitrovic to score. I don't know why I haven't started betting on Holland to score. I may, I may, need, to, I may need to start doing that. This man is, uh, is lighting the league on fire. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of funny because uh, when – Liverpool and City, the the teams that that were fighting for the Premier League last year, both signed their summer signing striker. The only thing we could do in the summer was compare them, and a lot of people were comparing Darwin Nunes to Erling Haaland, and it it's honestly laughable at this point because it doesn't seem that anyone is in the league that Erling Haaland is in. Yeah, it is. That had to light a fire up under him. We'll move on to the thirty third minute, just uh, seventeen minutes after Erling Haaland's second goal. Ball is played into Jack Grealish in the air, and um, as the ball is getting to Jack Grealish, Nathan Collins comes in trying to show off his newest kung fu, or maybe he wanted Jack Grealish to see the underside of his boot, but he he put his right foot directly on the 
ribs of Jack Grealish in what was just a disgusting tackle. Uh, no, no chance of winning the ball. Straight red card for Nathan Collins. Didn't even VR review it. No point of it. And uh, uh, he, he he argued with the referee a little bit. He seemed disappointed in the call. But I think he he and his he and his family may have been the only ones that were disappointed in that call. That was a straight red any day of the week, guys. What do we think? I mean, yeah, not much to say on this red card. It clearly, clearly a red card. I'm not sure what he was thinking. Yeah, easiest red card called all season long, right there. You can go ahead and bet on that. Yeah, and 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 that just makes the the situation more difficult for Wolves because you're you're. Undermatched against a really good city team, and now you're undermanned against a very good city team. Um, and city wouldn't make the most of it in the first half, as they had another 15 minutes before half was up. But uh, they wouldn't make the most of it in the second half with another Kevin De Bruyne overlap. Uh, he overlapped Holland, who held the ball up, and he slinged he slinged in just a beautiful cross. Foden got a touch on it directly through the defender's legs and into the side netting to put City up 3-0 for an eventual 3-0 win. Yeah, like you said, just another um, overlap by De Bruyne and then just another wonderful cross by him too. Man's doing it all right now. Him and Erling Holland are putting it together for Man City. Yeah, and a lot's been said about Holland not passing the ball or not getting enough touches. He has shown he can do that here as of late, especially on this play here as he gets the hockey assist. Yeah, I really don't get why people are saying that too much about Holland. He really doesn't need to get involved in the build-up with Man City. He just needs to be that target man, be in the right place at the right time. That's all he's there for. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Erling Holland said it himself in an interview. He said, "I, I would my per, I, perfect ideal game is I get three touches and I have three goals." You know, he's not. You know, obviously, he'll help out and keep possession and, and pass and build up. But he's he's interested in one thing and one thing only, and that's scoring goals. And uh, you know, he's doing it, and that's all that matters, right? So with that result, that leaves uh, City still unbeaten on the season and moves them up to, drumroll please, second place on 17 points. Wolves drop down to 17th place with uh, six points on the season, just uh, one win and three draws. Wolves, a little bit of a disappointing start of the season, having trouble getting goals. They did sign a striker. Uh, since we last uh, potted, and that striker comes by the name of none other than Diego Costa. What do we think of this signing, guys? Can this bring goals to this Wolves team? Uh, you would hope so, but I don't. I don't. I really don't think so. I would bet not. Yeah, you would hope so, just like BJ just said. But I don't think he's played a game in 2022, so getting his fitness level back up may take a couple more weeks. So with everything going on this big break it might be beneficial for wolves here's the question guys under over five goals for diego costa this season i think that's a good number to put it at that's a hard bet i'm going under yeah i'm I'm gonna have to take the under on that one as well this wolves team create chances they just don't have a quality goal scorer and and, you know raul jimenez after his uh injury uh has just not come back to be the goal scorer that wolves had hoped him to be and um (laughs) I, I, I like you said, Diego Costa's got to work on his fitness. He's got to get up to speed in the Premier League. And the question is, is, can his old body get back up to speed in the Premier League? You know, I'm sure the shithousery will still be there because he is Diego, Diego Costa. But um, you got to have the fitness to back that up. So I guess we'll see moving forward with Wolves. Uh, they're in a tricky spot as well. 
quick question. How many Portuguese players are Wolves start in this game? Eight. Eight Portuguese players are Wolves in this game. That's impressive. Yeah, and they're starting 11. That's kind of crazy. And they have a Portuguese manager, no? Yep. Large. All right, well, we'll move on to Spurs uh, hosting Leicester City, uh, the most out-of-form team in the Premier League versus uh, the only other undefeated team in the Premier League besides Manchester City. And you would have thought in the first five minutes that it would have been flipped because Leicester came out very excited to play and Spurs looked a little bit asleep, didn't they? Yeah, but that's how Spurs play. They want you to have possession, and then they want to hit you on the break. Yeah, it needed to be noted. Uh, Spurs made a uh, a few uh, substitutions, a few changes to this one. Uh, Hunman Song was obviously the uh, the one change that needed to be noted. He was put on the bench today for uh, Dejan Kulusevski, who took his starting spot, and and that lit a fire under Sun. We'll talk about that when it gets to the second half. Um, needed to be noted also Davidson Sanchez started over Christian Romero uh, due to in- injury and uh, Ivan Perisic moved from the left wing back to the right wing back and Ryan Sessegnon started in that uh, left wing back Emerson Royale moved to the bench um, for Leicester we got to meet their new guy uh, and, and forgive me because I'm going to absolutely botch his name Wout Face Wout Fass, Foss Face uh, got his first start of the Premier League. We got to see their new boy. And, uh, you know, you never want to have a debut like this. And it just was not a pretty debut. Lester did get started early, though, with a uh, Davinson such as foul in the box that gave him a penalty. Original penalty by Yuri Tillemans was saved by Hugo Lloris. Um, ball went out of play. VAR checked it. Hugo Lloris left his line. And uh, Yuri Tillemans got a second chance in which he converted. Well, VAR is there to get it right. So if he came off his line and VAR caught it, then that should be the call. Yeah, also, um, I thought there was some Spurs players in the box a little early as well. But Lloris was off his line, so that's what they'll call. Yeah, VAR got it right in the end. Um, and uh, Yuri Tillemans put his, his penalty away, but it only – Took two minutes uh, uh, off of a Tottenham Hotspur corner for uh, Harry Kane to get them level. Uh, you see a short corner kick taken. Ball goes back to the uh, kick taker on the uh, corner of the 18-yard box, slung into the back post, and you just kind of knew once it hit Harry Kane's head, there was no stopping it. I will say this. Maybe the keeper could have done a little better. Yeah, maybe, but you got to say the ball from Kulu definitely deserved a goal. And with that goal, um, it's Kane's 20th against Leicester, tying Alan Shearer's record uh, for goals against a single opponent. Impressive stat that. Like Jack said, a little poor from the goalkeeper there. The question has to be asked, um, is Danny Ward the worst goalkeeper in the league? Got to be up there. I mean, letting Schmeichel go um, – a legend in his own right for Leicester for 1 million euros. That's a terrible decision so far this year for Leicester. The only goalkeeper you can really compare that might be worse, I mean, just because he's so young and raw is Bazuna, or maybe just because he's so old is Guayeta for Palace. I mean, those are the only two you can really argue. You know, I question that Casper Schmeichel transfer, uh, Justin, because, I mean – 
like, whose decision was this? Did Casper Schmeichel say, okay, I'm done with the Premier League. I'm a legend here. I'm ready to go. I want to go and play in a Farmers League and retire. Or did Brendan Rodgers say, okay, your time's up. You're a legend. You've done it all you can for the club. We're going to move on with a younger guy next season. Or did, was it a wage issue? You know, Casper Schmeichel was demanding too high of a wage, and it was like, hey, let's move him on for whatever we can get. I mean, that questions have to be asked about that transfer. There's 100% no doubt about that. Um, and, and this Danny Ward is just, whew. This game, I mean, just straight six goals allowed. You, you can't do that. I mean, in the past two games, Leicester have allowed 11 goals. In the past seven games, this entire season, they've allowed 22 goals. This is this is relegation form. It's it's horrendous and and, and it's embarrassing. And, and we'll obviously get to the rest of the goals because some of them, you know, there's not there's not anything you can do about because Sunman home is great. But I have to say, yes, BJ, he he is absolutely the worst Premier League goalkeeper. There are backups playing for a lot of the Premier League teams that are better than this guy. Oh yeah, it's it's sad, man. What Lester did, it's it's very sad. Absolutely. We'll move on to the uh, the third goal of the game. Another corner kick, which was uh, one off of a, a play that, that most people would have seen as a dead ball. This is the second time this season Richarlison has made a hustle play, keep the ball alive, and win a goal-scoring opportunity. Ball to the front post finds Eric Dyer, who flicks it onto the back to make it 2-1. I, I don't think I would blame Danny Ward for this one, but uh, just, just a good finish from Eric Dyer. That puts Spurs up 2-1. Would not last long, though, as James Madison, who is the bright spot of this Leicester team, has a brilliant volley to to tie the game at 2-2. Gives Leicester a chance, but really it was just a chance, and, and, and it's it's about the same chance as a snowball's chance in hell, isn't it, guys? Yeah, I mean, Leicester played really well in the first half. They're very competitive, had some good quality chances like you said Madison took his uh, chance right there with the volley very very well but the second half was a completely different story for Leicester what did you think of that Madison goal Justin oh I thought it was nice um just nice volley looping over Larissa's head I mean I don't think it, most keepers in the world could have got to it much less Premier League no oh, yeah it was it was a brilliant strike and and it's one to uh, mark him not getting a call from the English national team. Will Gareth Southgate go on to regret that, guys? Gareth Southgate's making a bunch of questionable decisions with the England national team right now, to say the least. You could probably say the same for uh, Greg, Bolter, Greg Bellharter and the U.S. national team. But we'll save that for a special uh, FIFA World Cup pod that we have that we'll drop right before the World Cup comes out. Moving on to the second half of this one, guys. Um... Bentacore makes it 3-2 after uh, stealing the ball in midfield and, and creating a transition play where he carries it and has a shot. And he puts Spurs up 3-2. And in the 60th minute, the game changed uh, in favor of Spurs as Hunman Song comes on to replace uh, Richarlison. And he had a statement for Antonio Conte and the rest of the Premier League and all the fantasy Premier League Managers who dropped him from his from their fantasy team, didn't he, guys? Yeah, fortunately, I kept him, um, and I even started him um, in my squad this week. So I got lucky, I guess. Yeah, well, you you're one of the lucky ones, I guess. But yeah, I mean, the first goal, seventy fourth minute, outside the box, bending into the goal, top corner, right over the goalkeeper. 
His celebration for this goal, I mean, Antonio Conte goes nuts on the sideline and Son just jogs over to the corner flag with this just blankless expression on his face. Like, yeah, I just did that. I'm not quite sure how I just did that, but I just did that. Yeah, and then his second – well, his first goal was his right foot, and his second goal was in the 83rd minute with his left foot outside the box again. Curled it right around the goalkeeper. So that's right foot, left foot. Let's see how he can score his third goal. Yeah, and with his second goal, it was about from the same spot as the first. It was just headed towards the opposite post with his opposite foot. Both of them great goals. Yep, and then in the 86th minute, he scores a goal that with his right foot that it bounces right over the sorry goalkeeper. Well, not right over him, but bounces right underneath the sorry goalkeeper he is, Danny Ward, and into the goal. Oh, poor Danny Ward. Uh, a tough day. A tough day in the park and uh, a tough day, a tough season for him. Yeah, with Leicester's form, I mean, they're in a relegation battle, no doubt, as you obviously can't get another keeper in until uh, January unless they decide to start the other guy who I don't know has any Premier League experience. But that, after his day, that marks uh, – 10 points that they've dropped from a winning position. So they have to do better whenever they get uh, the first goal. That's for sure. Yeah, like you said, Justin, I'm not sure what they're going to be able to do because you can't drop Danny Ward Ward because your goalkeeper behind him has literally no experience. So it's a really, really tough decision right now by Brandon Rogers, And he's honestly, he has to get it right because his job is on the line now, fellas. Yeah, well, look at the position these teams are in. Um, Leicester currently holds uh, down the bottom of the table with just a lone point. Um, one point, they boast the second worst goal differential in the Premier League behind only Bournemouth, who, of course, had that 9 no defeat and then also, I believe, a 5 no defeat to City. Leicester yeah. in, in big, big, big trouble. And only team not to record a win this season so far. That that is also true. Just really not a good position if if you're a fox. It's one of those things where you'd really hate to see Leicester go down because I mean they were they were the Cinderella story of the Premier League. I mean they got promoted, they won a Premier League championship, they won the FA Cup what two years ago. I mean th- this is a team that that two years ago was stellar, and now all of a sudden things went sour and it, it's not really looking all that great. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, Tottenham Hotspur record their fifth win of the season and uh, remain without a loss on 17 points tied with Manchester City uh, for second in the league, uh, only behind them in goal differential. And uh, they have a chance to go top with their next game against uh, the Premier League leaders at the moment, Arsenal, which we'll get to uh, when we do our predictions later in the show. So two very opposite end of the spectrums, and, and, and you could see it at the final scoreline, but not really during the first half. Uh, we skipped over the middle game. We'll go to the middle game of Saturday. Uh, Newcastle uh, taking on Bournemouth at St. James's Park. And uh, this one, I believe, had we done a premier- prediction for this, we would have all had Newcastle for this one because uh, Newcastle are obviously the, uh, the better team in this one, but they did not out on top as this final score was 1-1. Uh, we'll start with the first half. Neto from Barcelona kept Bournemouth in this game uh, with three back-to-back saves that, that really 
you know, defined how Bournemouth were going to play in this match and, and kept them no-nil going into half. He said the goalkeeper in the first half for Bournemouth, I mean, man, like we've been talking about with Leicester, y'all, what a difference a keeper can make with the one team. Danny Ward and how poor he is for Leicester and how poor Leicester is. And then Bournemouth, they started Neto. This, I think this might be his second game, might be his first, I'm not really sure, but he's already making a huge difference for Bournemouth in that goal. Yes, he is. They, he, he absolutely kept him in this game. Uh, and with a no-no score at halftime, really, really helped him move forward. But yeah, that billing strike in the 62nd minute, it's his second goal of the season. He's playing really well. Always thought he was kind of a sluggish midfielder. Didn't really seem to hustle as much as he should. I guess that's why he's always played for Bournemouth, but it's nice to see him playing well. But yeah, Philip Billing uh, got on the end of, of, of a ball into the box and really just a brilliant touch that any striker would be proud of. Puts the ball past Nick Pope and puts Bournemouth up 1-0 at St. James's Park and really deflated the crowd there. Yeah, it took the energy right out of the crowd for sure. Justin, what did you think of that goal? It was nice. I mean, just got a nice touch on it and it froze uh, Pope and gold, so really nothing he could do about it. And Bournemouth, ever since sacking their manager, they've looked a more um, structured squad. Uh, they seem more organized in play. So something to watch moving forward, as we all thought that they'd finish last in the league. Well, so here, here's a question for you. And I bring this up only because – Bournemouth did not look terrible in August with Scott Parker as their manager. Uh, I mean, opening weekend, they beat Aston Villa, who were a struggling side at the beginning of the season. They beat them 2-0 in a game where they looked like the much better side. Uh, Then they had a stretch of three very, very difficult games, which ended in a press conference of Scott Parker saying that they were ill-equipped for the Premier League and obviously getting the sack. They lost 4-0 to City. They lost 3-0 to Arsenal, and then they lost 9-0 to Liverpool. Now, with this temporary manager in place, do you think they would have done any better any better in those three games with the way they're playing right now? I'm not so sure. I mean, those are, the, those are three of the hottest teams in the Premier League at the moment. Uh, obviously, Liverpool being, you know, they, they wanted redemption for that game. Uh, I, you know... I understand why they sacked Scott Parker, but I don't. I don't think they've made just this incredible, this incredible turnaround after they sacked Scott Parker. I mean, no, they wouldn't have got any um, difference of points in those three games. But yeah, the score lines could have been a little bit different. It could have been more in favor of Bournemouth. Maybe have actually scored some in one of those games. You know. That's fair, yeah. Well, since since Scott Parker sacking, they uh, drew no nil with Wolves in a game that we imagined was going to happen because Wolves were very good defensively and terribly up top. And then uh, it came back after being two 0 down at halftime to beat Nottingham Forest and and, and win three two. And here they are at this point in this podcast, they're up one nil against Newcastle away from home. A really just a a brilliant run of form under their under their their uh, caretaker manager. We'll talk about it. Newcastle got given a lifeline in this game. Uh, Newcastle uh, shot deflected off of a Bournemouth defender's hand, and after VAR reviewed it, were award, awarded a penalty. Guys, what did we think of this one? Was this a handball? Yeah, definitely a handball on Jefferson Lerma there. He's, his left arm was clearly out from his body. 
only took the uh, ref there one or two times while looking at the VAR screen to determine that it was a handball. Yeah, pin all the way. I agree. I think it was a penalty. Uh, it, it was a bit of a stroke of luck for Newcastle. Uh, it's one of those things that they'll take 100% because they needed it in this game. And, and their new boy, Alexander Izak, converted the penalty to uh, draw the game 1-1. And that's eventually how this one would end. Uh, a split of the points for both Newcastle and Bournemouth. Um, yeah, um, before the penalty was taken, there was a nice little talk going on between uh, Isak and Trippier to see who would take the penalty, and you would think that Trippier would let Isak take it, and he was trying not to, but boy, if Isak would have missed that, there would have been some talks in the locker room afterwards. There's always, we always love a little bit of who's going to take the penalty drama, and, and there was definitely a little bit of who was going to take the penalty drama here, but uh, it, ended, it ended well for for. Newcastle here as Alexander Izak converts. Uh, and then both teams see this game out with a 1-1 draw. Uh, that puts, uh, in terms of the table, that puts Newcastle dead middle of the table in 10th place on 8 points. And and that puts Bournemouth in 12th with also 8 points tied with Newcastle. Uh, of course, their goal differential, uh, the worst in the league, but making up for that goal differential by being in 12th, they have two wins, two draws, and three losses on the season. So an impressive record from uh, the most recently promoted team. And, and like I said at the beginning of the season, a lock to go down for me uh, is starting to look like it may bite me in the butt. What do we think of Bournemouth's chances here and their position on the table at this point? Like I said, I think they're looking more organized. Um and it's looking like a team that might be able to stay up, especially with um, how other teams are playing right now in between Leicester's form and Wolves not being able to find goals. Yeah, absolutely. We, like you said, we all had them as a lot to go down. They're surprising a bunch of people right now. Yeah, they're doing they're doing what they need to do. And, and I feel like if you're if you're a recently promotion promoted coach, uh, one of the things you need to be looking out for is. You get points in the games that you can get points in. I mean, no one that's recently promoted realistically is going to step on the pitch and keep up with City. I mean, you're going to park the bus and you're going to hope you come out with a draw or you can nick a 1-0 win. But if you lose, you want to keep it under 3-0. Yeah, and and the same with Liverpool, the same with a really, really good Arsenal team and a really good Tottenham team. Really, you want to, you want to play the games that you realistically have a chance of getting three points against you want to take it to those teams and the other teams you just want to survive against. And I, and I think Bournemouth are doing a really good job of that. And I think Fulham are also doing a really good job of that as they're, they've actually taken it to a couple of teams that I thought they were outmatched against. So uh, really good, uh, really good performances here from Bournemouth to be on eight points tied with Newcastle. What do we think of Newcastle start to the season guys? Game of their uh, life against city and everything else has kind of been mediocre. Not really what you'd expect out of that team. Yeah, rough five draws in their first seven games. It's pretty rough for Newcastle, man. It seems like they're taking the uh, Crystal Palace approach to things from last season where if you can't win the game, just don't lose the game. And it's not a terrible approach, but there's a couple of games this season that Newcastle should have won and they could have won and they haven't gotten the job done. Uh, but again, if you can't win it, don't lose it, right? Yeah, definitely won't always want at least a point out of a game. All right, well, we'll move on to the Sunday games. Bright and early Sunday morning, 
Um, if if you got up early for this one, you're a trooper because this one started a little earlier than the normal ones do. This was a, a 7 o'clock matchup between Arsenal and Brentford, which saw Arsenal debut the youngest player in the Premier League uh, towards the end of the game. We'll get to that, but we'll, we'll start with the goals. Uh, the scoring started off in the 17th minute by none other than Arsenal's, uh, you would think they're $80 million signing this summer, but a free man that they had had out on loan for two years. I'll go ahead and do it for you, BJ. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Yes, sir. Um, Saliba, man, great goal by him. To start it all, it was a good long throw in from Ben White. He threw it all the way into the 18-yard box for um, uh, Brentford, and Saka got on the end of it to challenge the defender and make it go out for a corner. So that was a good idea by Ben White there. And that led to Saliba's goal in the corner. But before Saliba's header, did y'all know that Arsenal's last 10 goals were all scored by a player's left foot? I did not know that. That's an interesting set. Yep. Interesting set that was. Saliba put Arsenal up 1-0 at the Brentford GTEx Community Stadium. Really a redemption game uh, after what was the opening game of their season last year. A disappointing loss for them. And... and, and, uh, I believe after the game, uh, Gabrielle, their center back, had uh, had some spice for one of the Bridford players in copying their their tweet from last season. Uh, this was definitely a truly a redemption game, and Arsenal made the most of it as it did not take long for them to grab a foothold in this game and then dominate this game. Gabriel Jesus just uh, eleven minutes later puts uh, puts Arsenal up two 0 Yeah, man, it was a beautiful cross by their. Uh... Rejuvenated man himself, Jaka, playing in a new role. Arteta's got him in a role that he really doesn't have to do much defensive work in, and it seems to really bring his career back to life right now for Arsenal. And he's enjoying his football. Another assist for Jaka. Really happy to see it. Yeah, I'll I'll come out and say that I was uh, I was speculative of of Arteta's tactics with with putting Jaka in that position. I even went on to say that Arsenal should go in January to get a player that was of a bit more quality in that natural position. But Jaka's looked. Uh, more than the part, and in a game where you're missing uh, your number one creator in Odegaard and your quality left back in Zinchenko, uh, Xhaka created a brilliant goal here with a with a nice looping ball in, and, and Jesus getting on the end of it. Yeah, beautiful header by Jesus. That makes nine in uh, Jesus's last twelve Premier League games. Uh, the ball definitely deserved to finish. I mean, great ball by Xhaka, uh, like y'all said. <clears throat> but, I mean, you talk about how this is rejuvenated him. Um, you're still going to get some stupidity from him, so don't hype him up too much, as he did pick up a dumb yellow card in the second half. <laughs> Jaka will Jaka, right? Yep. But speaking of the second half, Arsenal new boy Fabio Vieira, in his first full Premier League start, uh, was given just – entirely too much space uh, on the outside of the box. And, and it was almost one of those things where you were like, okay, what's he going to do with it? And he just unleashed a brilliant strike with his left foot and, and strokes went home to make it 3-0. Uh, this being his first goal of the season, uh, of the Premier League season for Arsenal and uh, putting up Arsenal, put, putting Arsenal up 3-0 comfortably uh, at the GTEC Community Stadium. And, and which would be the inevitable in, ending of the scoreline at, at 3-0 uh, for Arsenal. Yeah, um, Vieira's first Premier League start, and he scores. Very happy to see that. Um, that uh, streak of two headers didn't last too long because Vieira scored with his left foot to get that streak going again. So we'll see how long it lasts this time, fellas. 
Arsenal would go on to make history in this game, wouldn't they, BJ? Yeah, they brought on the 15-year-old himself, Ethan Awenu, comes on. 92nd minute, youngest player ever in English top flight uh, football history. Good thing for the young man. Very happy to see it. But honestly, fellas, it just shows how thin Arsenal are in the attacking midfield position with Odegaard and Smith-Rowe out injured. We had to settle for a 15-year-old on the bench. He's only 15. He's only 15. A shit you must be. He's only 15. As the Arsenal fans chanted. Yep. I love it. Youngest player in the Premier League uh, by at least a year. And he came on in the 90th minute, and he did get one touch of the ball. So the youngest player to play in the Premier League and the youngest player to touch a ball in the Premier League. We can say that. Well, look at both teams' uh, positions in the table. Arsenal obviously take their rightful place at the top of the Premier League. Uh, six wins and one loss, uh, rebounding off of that loss to uh, Manchester United. Uh, and, and they take their rightful place at the top of the Premier League, one point ahead of City and Tottenham uh, at 18 points. Obviously, their next game being uh, a 7.30 North London Derby versus Tottenham. Winner has the chance to go top of the table. Uh, can't wait for that. That's going to be a great one. We'll get to the prediction por- portion of this podcast in a minute. Moving on to Brentford. Brentford uh, take their place in ninth on nine points, tied with none other than Liverpool. Brentford have two wins, three draws, and two losses. Uh, and and they sit top half the table, but, uh, but uh, only in ninth. Right, what do we think of Brentford's start of the season, guys? I mean, Brentford's showing that they got goals in them. That was uh, 15 goals in six games coming into this game where they got shut out. So, if you got if you're willing, you got chances to score 15 goals in six games. You definitely got chances to grab some points, and that's what they've been doing. Happy to see it from Brentford. Two. Yeah, they've looked good, other than in this game, um, which they look very poor <clears throat> as far as getting crosses in, as everything was either way too long or way too short. But no, nah, they've been a solid squad so far. I think Arsenal really came out in this one with the chip on their shoulder, though, and really shut them down. I'll say this: Brentford have been a, a really—I don't like to use the word inconsistent because they've gotten results, but it's been a bit inconsistent. I mean, Ivan Tony with his first English call-up, he'll be in the England team this year, backing up uh, Harry Kane. As we said in our last podcast, you know, we all thought that he could do that position, and we're glad to see him get caught up. And uh, this is a this is a good chance for him, and 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 I think Brentford are comfortable in a good position here that they can they can make some moves. Move on to the last uh, game of the week, uh, Sunday morning at a nine fifteen. Goodison Park set the stage for uh, the Mo- David Moyes Derby. Uh, David Moyes managing West Ham came in and faced uh, Frank Lampard's Everton team. Uh, in what was a pretty even first half, both teams feeling out each other, neither team really wanting to open up and, and and let the other team have a chance. There was an early chance from there was an early chance from Jared Bowen as he uh, got past Mikalinko and a, and a, a great deflection from Connor Cody to keep it one 0 Obviously, Jordan Pickford, Everton's savior uh, so far this season, ha- was out missed out through injury, and he'll also miss out this international break for the England team through energy. Or through injury, um, Asmir Begovic, uh, Everton's number two, started in goal, had a couple great saves. And, and other than 
you know, Jared Bowen's chance in the first half and a couple of uh, headers that weren't really that dangerous. Nothing really going for either team in the first half. Everton with zero shots on target in the first half. West Ham with three. Like I said, those those three were a couple of headers that went straight to Asmir Begovic's gloves. First half, as you said, Justin, in our text messages, pretty boring. Oh, yeah, just, just back and forth play. Um, nothing really in it. Yeah, like y'all said, definitely nothing really in it. Worried for both teams. Both teams need to come out and show something and almost put me to sleep in the first half. Second half, a little bit of a different story uh, as um, Everton started to grab a, a better foothold in the game in terms of uh, attacking threat and possession. Um, nice buildup from the back line uh, finds Amadou uh, Onana, who switches it wide. Uh, Alex Iwobi picks up the ball, finds Neil Mope surrounded by three West Ham defenders. These three West Ham defenders being uh, Thomas Suchek, Declan Rice, and Kurt Zuma. Neither three closing down, and Neil, Pope, Neil Mope was allowed a touch and then a strike, which found the back of the net and put Everton up 1-0. What do we think of this goal, guys? A really nice placement, um, not given. Fabianski a chance with the pace and placement on it and great way to open your account uh, for Everton. Yeah, like you said, Jack, um, he picked the ball up in between three West Ham defenders and it was a great pass for Miwobi to put it right on him and great turn from Mope, turned very quickly and I'm very surprised that none of the West Ham defenders stepped up and tried to defend him. They gave him the time he needed to strike that ball as soon as he turned. And I want to ask about his celebration afterwards. What did he do? Did this man try to hit the Naruto run right after he scored? I'm not sure. I, I you know, I think he, I think he was just super excited. I, I honestly think, I think he was just as surprised as all of the West Ham defenders that he was able to pull that off. I mean, that's not an easy skill. He took the first touch and it took a bounce. It, it popped up in the air and before it hit the ground, he put his boot through it and found the back of the net. I mean, that, that, that's a pretty impressive skill. Your back's the goal. You received the ball, and before the ball hits the ground, you're putting your boot through it into the back of the net. It was, it was an impressive finish, and I think I think he was just as surprised as everyone else, and, and I don't think he knew exactly what to do. Uh, but really, really excited to see Everton finally sign a number nine, and then his second appearance, gets, he gets a goal for us, and a goal that was the difference to give Everton their first one of the season. Really a more promising performance from Everton. I, I'll say the past five games being undefeated, uh, other I, I, other than the Forest game, which we did not play particularly well, we got saved by a last-second goal by Damari Gray from a Jordan Pickford assist. Um, this Everton team have looked a lot harder to the beat than last season, and I actually have a statistic to back that up. In this game, West Ham had 14 corners. Last season, Everton... Allowed a goal every sixth corner they faced. This game, West Ham had 14 corners. Last season, we would have we would have lost this game two or three. No, I, I'm 100. I'm 100 certain on this. So far this season, Everton have faced 66 corners and have only allowed one scored. What do we think of that turnaround from from the Everton defense as far as just set pieces goes? I mean, yeah, definitely has to play into the new two center backs you are playing with Tarkovsky and Cody. Definitely helps y'all out there for sure. 
Yeah, that back line in general is starting to come together for him, really starting to gel. Like you said, y'all are starting to look harder to beat. Something that also needs to be said, Connor Cody was said to have moved on loan to Everton from Wolves because he could not play in a back four. Past three games that he has played in the back four, we have allowed one goal. And he's looked absolutely the part. He actually captained this game as a loan signing. Uh, which is was just absolutely impressive from you. What do you think of Connor Cody's start to his Everton career? Yeah, de- definitely a good start. And like you said, um, not sure why Wolves um, decided to loan him out and not at least give him a chance to play in that back four and show him that show Bruno Large that he could play in the back uh, back four. Not sure what Large was thinking there. Yeah. Uh, I think it's silly. I think it's. I mean, I I get it. You want to make way for Nathan Collins, the young guy who has a chance of, of being you know big, bigger and better. But you know, this is a guy who just got an England call up because of the way he's he started the season and, and his leadership in the Everton team. And now you know, Wolves included a buy option for twelve million pounds into his loan deal, and and Everton are already looking to make that permanent. Like I told you guys. Monday was a bank holiday. I would have been making that loan permanent today. I don't care what kind of situation that puts us in in January. This is a player that resembles a true Evertonian and the way that he fights for the team and the way that he leads the team. And I'm I'm proud. Of, I'm proud of it. I, I I don't care. He used to be a red. I like him. We'll bring up West Ham's position first, and then we'll talk about Everton's position. Uh, West Ham after this game. Are in 18th place, uh, one win, one draw, and five losses. What do, what do we think of West Ham's start to the season and David Moyes' uh, future in this position? Yeah, bad start for them. They definitely need to start finding wins, especially against teams that on paper they should be or tie at least with. I mean, yeah, very, very poor start from West Ham here. You would expect more with the season they had last year. Pretty good season. I'm not sure what's going on with West Ham. This is a team, the only player they lost was Mark Noble to retirement. And they gained Jean-Lucas Samako, who is a, a European striker that's been proven in the UCL. Um, they gained a brilliant German center back in Cahir. And uh, they picked up Maxwell Cornet, who seemed to be bright for Burnley. Obviously, had some trouble finishing last season, but I think this is the best West Ham team that we've seen since they came back to the Premier League four or five years ago. And they're truly struggling. Is is, is it time for Moyes to go? Question has to be asked. That's for sure. With that, uh, Everton's position. Uh, 13th in the table after their first win of the season. That brings them on one win, four draws, and two losses. Uh, seven points. Uh, what do you think the start of season for them? Yeah, about what you would expect from this Everton squad being where they're at. Really good game from Begovic here. And they got to get points where they can to stay out of that relegation battle. I mean, you don't really expect them to finish. Certainly not in the top half of the table. So about where you would expect a little higher. Yeah, like Justin just said, this is about where I expect Everton. Maybe you could put him at 10, 9 if lucky, but uh, round 10 to 13 is where I see Everton finishing this season. So right in that little area, I see them. 
Absolutely. All right, well, this brings us to the uh, prediction part of the podcast. BJ, you want to take over? Yeah, so uh, match week nine is going to start us off after the international break on October 1st. And, boys, do we start off with a good one like Jack mentioned earlier in the podcast. 7.30, October 1st. Oh, man. Tottenham travel to the Emirates Stadium. Not that far of a travel for them. Jack, do you want to start us off with this one? Yeah, absolutely. This will be a uh, brilliant game. Uh, I'm I'm expecting... I'm expecting Arsenal to dominate the ball and Spurs to try to get him on the counterattack like they've done so well this season. Uh, I, in this match, am going to go with a 2-2 draw. Taking the safe way out on this one. Um, could really see it going either way. Arsenal win, Arsenal draw with Spurs or Spurs win. Um, but I'm going to go with a 2-1 win for Spurs. Very... Fun game this will be. Yeah, fellas. Um, Arsenal, I hope them to be um, almost fully healthy for this one. Odegaard should be back as well as Smith Rowe so, and Shazinko. So we should be pretty um, 100%. Very, very excited for it. Like Jack said, I think we'll dominate possession. Tottenham's going to try to hit us on the counterattack. I, I see Arsenal pulling this one off. Very definitive win. 3-1, fellas. I'll move right along to the next game of Saturday, and it is where Everton travel to St. Mary's Stadium to take on Southampton. Jack, you want to start us off with this one? Sure, yeah. Everton unbeaten in their last five games, um, going against a, a struggling performed Southampton team, uh, a young team. Um, like I said, it's been very – in the past five games, it's been very difficult to break Everton down especially with this new look back six, back seven that they've had. I really personally see Everton coming out of this one with a 2-0 win. Dominic Calvert-Lewin's back healthy. I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw in it. Um, I think this international break helps this very young Southampton team. And Ralph puts a little bit of strategy in there for it. 1-1 draw. Yeah, I agree with Justin on this one. I see a draw happening. I'll go 1-1 as well. I'll say a goal from Anthony Gordon and Shea Adams in this one. And we'll go to the next 10 o'clock game where it is Chelsea traveling to Selhurst Park to take on Crystal Palace. Uh, Jack, you want to start us off with this one? Oh, boy. Yeah, this is a tough one. This will be Graham Parter's first game in the Premier League as Chelsea manager. Obviously, he had one in in, uh, the Champions League. But in the Premier League... Different story. Selhurst Park, London Derby between the two. It'll be a good one. I personally uh, am am going to go with Chelsea in this one. I think uh, Raheem Sterling is the difference in this game. Wow. While Wilfred Zaha has been in amazing form, uh, it's been a minute since uh, both teams have played, and I think Crystal Palace is going to suffer from that. I am going to go with a 3-1 win for Chelsea. Yeah, Pot, giving Potter this much time to really set his play up for Chelsea, I think that's going to be the real difference maker. 2 nothing Chelsea. Yeah, y'all fellas said it right um, with how much time Graham Potter's had to um, really set up this side for Chelsea, implement his tactics the way he likes to play. I see I see Chelsea um, getting it done, no problem. See him keeping a clean sheet as well. I'm going to go um, 2-0 for Chelsea as well. 
we'll go right on to the next game where it is Brighton traveling to Anfield to take on Liverpool. Justin, do you want to start us off with this one? Yeah, I don't know if everybody's going to be back for Liverpool yet, but I still see them escaping with a win, whether it's one nothing or 2-1. to one. And whenever I say escaping, they'll probably get lucky as they do. Brighton signing a, uh, a new manager, one of the best young managers in the world. Uh, Brighton's recruitment strategy, as far as their manager goes, seems to be pretty brilliant. Just, I think this is a really tough first game for him. Uh, at Liverpool, obviously, are having their own struggles at the back with Virgil van Dijk and, and Trent Alexander-Arnold not playing very well. Uh, international break could help that. Tough one. I go Liverpool 2-1, probably a 90, 90th minute stoppage time winner. You know how they do. Get lucky or something. So, yeah, like y'all two have been saying, um, it's the same situation for Brighton here. Um, their manager having the past two post um, match weeks postponed and then having an international break. It really helps that manager implement his tactics and get to the team, have a couple weeks to get everything right. Like Jack said, he's a young manager, bright future ahead of him. He's an Italian manager. He's done pretty good with the Italian team, Saluso, that he's been um, coaching at before. So, yeah, really happy to see, excited to see what he does here with Brighton. Sucks that he's had him going against Liverpool. See Liverpool getting it done, unfortunately. We'll go 3-1 Liverpool here, fellas. We'll move right along to the next game on Saturday where it is Newcastle traveling to Craven Cottage to take on Fulham. Jack, what's your thoughts on this one? Well, these are, uh, usually I would jump right all over Newcastle, but they've been pretty some, some shaky form, and, and Fulham have been finding points where they don't deserve them, personally. Um I'm going to go with a shocker here. I'm going with uh, Fulham 2-0, and, and, well, I guess you already know who I'm going to pick to be one of the scorers. That's Alexander Mitrovic. 2-0 uh, you know, Fulham. Yeah, um, like we talked about earlier, Newcastle uh, just finds a way to draw it out, and I think that's what happens here, 1-1. And, I mean, I am in agreement with you that Mitrovic is on the score sheet as well. Yeah, um, Newcastle, they always find a way to get a draw out of these games, it feel, I feel like. Um, so, um, and Fulham's always find a way to get on the score sheet, especially Mitrovic. I see Fulham scoring late here to get a tie out of the game. We're going to go 2-2 final score. Um, we'll move right along to the next Saturday game where it is Brentford traveling to Vitality Stadium to take on Bournemouth. Jack, thoughts on this game? This is a tough one as well. Bournemouth have been looking much better. Uh, I have to go with uh, for, with Brentford here. I think they get back on track. And I think uh, after the international break training with the England national team, Ivan Tony gets on it. And uh, Brentford win 3-1 here. Yeah, I think Brentford win pretty easily here too, honestly, um, especially after the international break. Had time to sit on that loss from Arsenal. They went pretty easily, 3 nothing. Yeah, like both of y'all said, the international break is really going to help Brentford here. They have the better team than Bournemouth. Their team's going to get back on track. This break's really going to help them. Brentford get the win here. I'm going to say 3-1. Bournemouth get back on track to falling to the bottom of the table, in my opinion. 
Um, we'll go to the next, the final game for Saturday, and it is where Wolves travel to London Stadium to take on West Ham. Justin, why don't you start us off with this one? Well, it's all about if Wolves can find a goal. I mean, this past week they did play City, so they did let up some goals. But coming into that game, they had the best defense in the league. So, you know, they're hard to score against. But can they find the goals? And I'm going to say they can't. And uh, West Ham finding the goal has been a problem for them too. But give – David Moyes a couple weeks, I think that they'll be able to find one in it. So one nothing, West Ham. Guys, you can't tell me that there aren't people writing out these Premier League seasons before they happen. I mean, it just seems that these matchups come at, at perfect timing. I mean, West Ham have just looked so, so, so dreadful this season. And so have Wolves. I mean, this is a relegation battle early in the season facing off. And Wolves find the goals, like Boob said. And West Ham figure out how to use their quality. I mean, world-class Declan Rice, Lucas Paqueta starting central midfielder for Brazil. You gotta say West Ham's gonna win this game. But then again, you have Wolves who just don't let up goals easily, except for against City when City. So. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, a nil-nil draw between these two teams and David Moyes is sacked. I would like to see that. I think David Moyes should be sacked, but I would like to agree with Justin here. I think um, West Ham is going to get back on track with this one. Um, I'm not going to say 1-0, but I want to say maybe 2-1. I think Wolves find a goal in it, but it's just not enough for this West Ham team. Yeah, 2-1 West Ham in this one. That will end Saturday, and we'll move right along to Sunday. And the first game of Sunday is a big one, fellas. We got the Manchester Derby. We got Manchester United traveling to Etihad Stadium to take on Manchester City. Jack, you'll start us off with this one, and I'll get Justin's thoughts later, the City fan. Yeah, similar to... Uh, the North London Derby a day before, we're going to see Manchester City absolute dominate possession. And then when Manchester United win it, you'll see uh, six, seven quick passes in succession and a quick build-up to a release ball that may see Manchester United get a goal or two. One thing I will say, Manchester City looks shakier at the back than Arsenal do. Um, depending on... What Pep chooses is his lineup, which there's no way you can predict that. I have to go with a Manchester City win two to one after United take a one no win or a one no lead at halftime. Excuse me. Okay, Justin. I agree with everything you just said. Um, we are looking shakier at the back, as especially as compared to last year. Um, and we're also really susceptible to the counter, and that's been a historical thing, not this, not just this year. Um, so, And I can also see us going down early to start, um, but I still think we pull it out either 2-1 to one or 3-1 to one with a late third. All righty. Well, oh, man, this is a tough one to call. 
I think City's going to win, but Manchester United is going to definitely make this interesting. They're going to hit City on the counterattacks when they least expect it. They're going to score a goal, maybe even two. Actually, yeah, I see two here. I see this being a high-scoring back-and-forth game. I think City's going to end up on top 3-2 in this one, fellas. We'll go to the last game for Sunday in the second-to-last game of match week nine. And it is where Aston Villa travels to Ellen Road to take on Leeds United. Justin, you want to start us off with this one? Um, this one's a tough one to call, I think. Uh, Leeds, you know, they're susceptible to giving up more than a couple at the back. And Villa haven't looked good all year, but somehow managed a um, win this past weekend. But uh, I'm going to say it's a higher scoring one as well. I think Sunday's going to be full of goals. I'm going to go three, two leads. Yeah, no, ch- no chance for Villa in this one. Uh, leads are, leads are going to come back out strong. They, of course, they've had a couple games uh, suspended as well, and Jesse Marshall have a chance with his team. Um, Brendan Anderson back from the U.S. Men's National in camp along with uh, Tyler Adams. This is going to be a 3-1 uh, win for Leeds. Yeah, um, both of y'all are calling Leeds winning in this one. I actually don't. I think uh, Austin Villa is going to get the upset win in this one. I like the way they're playing right now. Yeah, they only scored one goal in their last game, but they have some good, young, talented players on their team that are actually going to stay um, with the team during the international break, which is going to help them a little bit more. They're not going to have the players like Tyler Adams and Brendan Harrison having to leave the uh, team's camp and go to the international team's camp for a whole week. I see Villa staying together getting back on track and continuing this winning form. I see 2-1 win here for Villa, fellas. So we'll move right along to the last game, which takes place on Monday, the 3rd of October, and it is Nottingham Forest traveling to the King's Power or King Power Stadium to take on Leicester City. Jack, you want to give me your thoughts on this one? Yeah, boy, this is a tough one as well. Uh, again, the Premier League script writers were just being so cruel, putting these teams in such bad form against each other and saying, who's going to be the worst of the bunch? We're struggling, and we don't even need to speak on Leicester and how bad they're struggling, guys. I just, you know, how do you call it? How do you call it? Leicester? More quality? Potentially? Probably? You know, Leicester? All righty. Uh, Justin? <clears throat> yeah, I think Leicester finally find a way to win one. Um, and it's just the quality in their team puts them ahead. I think this one could be a high-scoring one, but I'm going to go 2-1 Leicester. Who am I to think that Joel Ward is going to keep a clean sheet? What the hell am I thinking? Yeah, so we have two rele- relegation battles happening this week. We got the uh, four bottom teams going against each other. While on the other end of the table, we got four of the top five teams going against each other. So definitely two tails of the table here. Two very different stories that can be told. Um, But Lester, like Jack just said, I'm not sure how Danny Ward is going to keep a clean sheet like he's predicting. Don't Definitely don't see that happening. I see Forrest getting at least two to three goals past them. But I see Lester scoring their goals as well with the way Forrest has been playing. I see this being a high... Scoring draw, fellas. I'm gonna say three three draw here to end match week nine, and then we'll have Jack Sosa sign us off here to end the podcast. Absolutely, I really appreciate you guys. If you've listened this this deep into the podcast again, you know this is game week eight's recap uh, and a prediction for game week nine. 
smash that follow button, uh, send it to your soccer loving friends, uh, and uh, follow us on Twitter. That's tackling the prim. It's at tackling the prim. Really appreciate it as always. It's been a pleasure, guys, and uh, we can't wait to see y'all uh, after the international break. Yeah, thank y'all for listening. If you made it this far, give us a follow. Like Jack said, that is tackling the prim at on Twitter. Tackling the prim. See you next time. Peace.